everyone some pre-show business. It's uh, MJ and Sarah here. But uh, as you guys know, we recently ran a contest for fan interpretations. I won't say artwork, although the entries we got were all works of art, in our opinion. Uh <laughs> of what a shark looks like when it gets arrested and put in handcuffs because in our was it our first episode or our second episode i think it was maybe the second episode but i think I'm you're right not too sure <laughs> yeah in our second episode we came up with how brody would go about arresting the shark the way he would arrest any other suspect or perp in his line of work and it was a delightful image and gave birth to <laughs> many a meme over the course of the last 16 episodes and so we ran a contest so that you guys could win some jaws let's jaws for a minute swag um we'll be giving away a t-shirt and a mug is that correct mm -hmm. yep and we had uh four entries and we have determined the winner so without further ado sarah take it away yes we loved all of the entries that we received um so, so it was very hard to choose but there was one that um stood out to both of us and um so i'm very happy to announce that the winner is uh and his twitter handle i will announce is um at the marco guy so that is marcus um so a big congrats to marcus um his entry was a video clip of a sort of uh cop noir interrogation uh sort of thing with him interrogating this uh toy shark and it really made us laugh um a lot and we very much enjoyed watching that so yeah a big congratulations um to marcus we'll be in touch um to get your prizes sent out to you and um i think we'll probably run another contest at some point in the future so um watch watch this space i guess yeah, definitely. Uh, that's it. Congrats, Marcus, and uh, enjoy the episode. Not just Marcus, everyone. Everyone enjoy the episode. <laughs> Is it a tiger? No. Is it a shark? Yes, but not just a shark. Well, then what is it? Tiger plus a shark. What, 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 what tiger shark? Oh, what? Tiger shark. Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are joined by a very special guest. Welcome to the show, Rob Wallace. Well, thank you for, thank you for having me. It's an absolute delight to be here. Yeah, thank you for being on. As always, we have to ask the Jaws question, as it's come to be known. So will you tell us a little bit about your personal history with Jaws and um, do kind of your introduction to it and, and the sort of staying power it's had in your life? Of course, yeah. Um, I think I, I had the kind of fairly typical experience. I saw Jaws at a very young age, probably, oh, blimey, maybe, maybe around the age of seven or eight, uh, a friend's house. Um, and, you know, sort of... Uh, I, I, you know, I was around, around a friend's house and he happened to have it on, I'm, I'm guessing it must have been on VHS, and he turned around and sort of, you know, do you want to watch this? It's, it's great. It's a really scary, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a classic. 
not sure if he put it in exactly those terms, but um, <laughs> I I was absolutely terrified. I, you know, I, to the extent that, you know, I still am not a big fan of deep, dark water. You know, even if I logically know there's no way, you know, a shark can be in there. I, I, I don't want to be the person that proves that a shark could have been in there. Like, <laughs> I... I don't I don't want to like oh it was a freakish accident that nobody could have predicted that this man was eaten by a shark under these circumstances like yeah I just don't think that like logically knowing a shark couldn't be there would be much of a comfort as I look down and see this toothy thing coming up at me <laughs> um um so but yeah it was it absolutely terrified me for years and years and years um yeah to the extent that you know I'm still I'm still theoretically scared of sharks yeah, that seems to be seems to be one of the camps that uh, that happens a lot with our guests. Actually, Sarah, I don't know if you are scared of sharks. I'm not really. I'm not. I don't go in the ocean a lot, but uh, I don't. When I'm there, I, I'm not really thinking about getting attacked by a shark. Um, I'm I'm not scared of sharks, and in fact, sharks are my favorite animal. And I I don't think I would just pop out into the water and hope to see a shark but i would really like to under supervision go in like a cage or something and and hang out with some sharks but i have not done that yet but i i would like to and yeah i don't i i don't fear sharks at all um i think i came to jaws a bit later than some people i didn't i didn't watch it like as a young child i think if i had um it might be a different story but yeah (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat, actually. I I hadn't considered the age at which I really fell in love with the film. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so this episode we're talking, or the scene we're talking about, excuse me, um, is the timestamp is 22 minutes and 34 seconds until 24 minutes and 30 seconds. And it's just, it's a rare bit of downtime for the film, a little bit. Uh, So we see Brody flipping through a book, learning about sharks, some sort of shark book that he either picked up at the library or an encyclopedia or something. And he's, he's learning about the hunting patterns of sharks and just kind of pouring over any facts he can get about sharks. And then Ellen comes up behind him and scares him and comforts him after he's, (laughs) he's, he's startled and hands him a drink and, um, you know, asks uh, if he's doing okay and, you know, what he wants to do that night. And then Michael is in his early birthday present, which is a small little uh, boat. And Sean is on the dock. And, uh, pardon me, uh, Brody, I could not remember his name for a second. Brody (laughs) yells at Michael to get out of the boat. Ellen says, hey, you're being too hard on him. He's not in the boat. He's not in the water. He's on a boat. And then she sees a shark uh, attacking a boat in one of the books that Brody was reading and tells him to get out of the boat. And that's kind of it. It's just kind of like family downtime night with the uh, the Brodies. So um, we'll start, Rob, with you. Uh, what what did you notice about this scene? I think it's... It's a, as you say, it's a really nice moment of downtime. And one of the things that I, I really love about the about Jaws 
is that it doesn't like unlike in the book the uh, the relationship the uh, between between the Brody between Ellen and Brody isn't like a source of high drama it's not like a, oh you know he's too committed to his work she's going to leave him or you know there's there's not there's nothing of that there it's just a really like nice for the most like supportive actually quite fun relationship um and it feel it feels to me really authentic like you know the fact that she tell you know they've got their moment where you know he's obviously really focused on this book and she scares him like she just comes up behind see how he's doing it you know has a jump and you know like you know ask do you want a drink do you want to have a fool around and it's like they they feel like a real married couple mm-hmm. and yeah i sorry carry on no 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 you first no i was going to say i i really like their dynamic as a couple and i think this this after the first scene that we saw them in, which is the very first time we see Brody, this feels like the best chance we've had so far of seeing like what they are like as a couple. I I think one of the reasons that Jaws endures is the fact that you know the difference between you know this and you know your fairly standard shark as slasher film is you know apart from again the sort of the level of kind of filmmaking expertise behind it we actually really care about the characters and that's and you know that, that's not to say we get loads of detail about their lives you know uh, we know that we know that Brody's afraid of the ocean despite you know having previously been a New York cop and that's never quite but the fact that like there is this nuance and this kind of detail to them that that is that suggests an inner life and I, I you know I it's only really re-watching the film in recent years I've really got I think for the first time what, what I think you know, kind of the Hitchcock influence on it. The fact that, you know, everybody, even like the supporting cast, the townspeople, the kind of local eccentrics really do have like a certain, a texture and a color to them that that make this more than a, a shark is munching on anonymous, anonymous people. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that Hitchcock connection. I was telling you guys off mic, I just got the 4K Hitchcock box set and I popped in Vertigo last night because I heard that was the the best restoration out of the the set and i was really struck by how many like hitchcock filmmaking techniques spielberg uses through the whole of jaws i mean it, the the films are completely different obviously but they feel very similar like very kindred spirits in I don't know if it's tone or like you said, texture. There's a lot of great use of color. There's a lot of great use of purple and green and red and yellow in Vertigo. And there's a lot of moments that ramp up the tension and then kind of, you know, get a little cheeky with it and make you think that nothing's going to happen. And then something does happen or make you think that something's going to happen and then nothing happens. And you can tell that Spielberg really looked up to Hitchcock in the the making of this film and the way it's put together and structured and layered almost more than any other film in his filmography i yeah i think i think i think this was obviously kind of his 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 first massive you know his his his, the 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 block the blockbuster as it were um yeah and i and i think that i it's fascinating to imagine what the film would have been like had you know had the shark been slightly more operational because you know would we would we have lost the character focus to a degree if there had been you know the, if the shark had been introduced as a character early on would that have kind of overshadowed some of this you know subtler kind of more more low-key stuff if we had seen you know the uh, the uh 
the 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 shark rampaging off off Amity instead of just being this implied this implied you know we we see the impact it has we don't see the object itself and um I think this scene's really interesting in terms of as a dramatization of Brody of Brody's fear because you know as uh, you know talked a minute ago about kind of my origins my my um my first time seeing the film the fact that you know Brody has what is at least you think initially to start with a f an illogical fear of water you know okay I mean, obviously water can be dangerous but Brody's fear of it given that you know he lives on an island is you know pretty is pretty is unusual yeah. But this shark, the shark, the presence of the shark makes it totally logical. All of a sudden, he has a very good reason. You know, you should not really be in the water right now, and 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 every and it's actually everybody else. You know, it's like you know, it's the it's uh, it's the mayor. It's it's everybody not you know not respecting the fact that this is something to be afraid of, and I think the film is a really interesting kind of exploration. Again, partly because the shark isn't seen in the uh, in the early reaches of it about dealing with and confronting fear about dragging fear to the surface you know by literally you know strapping you know a pit you know attaching loads of uh, loads of barrels to your fear and dragging it up so that you can then challenge it like head on hmm. and what what brody is doing in this scene as well is the sensible and the logical thing which is he is reading up about the shark and he is learning as much as he can both it may sort of help him or he, he you know perhaps thinks it may help him work out what to do or you know the books he is reading they do seem to be um like mj said just kind of like encyclopedias or books he's literally just gone to like the shark section or the nature section of the library and gone i'll take everything you've got because he has got a big st stack of books on his desk which I, I always find quite funny but he's clearly got all of these and he wants to find out more about it so even though it is something that yes he is fearful of the water he is wanting to i guess put some put something behind it put some some facts behind it and also making sure that he is informed because even though his authority is being walked over by the the mayor and other people in amity he clearly wants to look like you know he knows what he is doing so he has got the facts to to back him up because he you know and admittedly would say himself that he doesn't know that much about these sharks because when he's sort of reading the stuff back to to Ellen it's sort of sounding like a bit of a surprise to him like you know they don't even know how long sharks can live for he says so he's kind of learning learning about all this stuff as well but I think yeah something you were saying as well Rob is is that this scene shows really well Brody's fear without going too over the top with it he's quite clearly on edge um which we see in the moment where ellen sort of very easily startles him and i used to think that bit was really silly where they both make like make each other jump until i experienced it in real life and let me tell <laughs> you it does it does happen exactly like that i was creeping around it well, not creeping i was just walking into the living room in in my old flat um and martin was in there but he didn't hear me come in and he then jumped and yelled which made me jump and i was like this is like that but in jaws so it can happen it's not silly um but yeah he's he's clearly on edge in this in this moment and we see that and the the exhale as well when ellen sort of drags him away from the books and puts a drink in his hand you can just sort of see all over his face what is what is going on and that he is fearful and Another thing I just wanted to pick up on as well is that um, 
we haven't seen that much of the shark yet like like you mentioned rob and we get another glimpse of the shark in the scene that follows this with the fisherman well i say a glimpse we see you know things moving and implied presence of the shark but something that is a constant presence in this scene is the ocean and i didn't i don't know if i just didn't clock before how close brody's house is to the ocean like the beach yep. is right there and the the scene where he is reading the books and there is the ocean on both sides pretty much there's these big open windows behind him um and apart from in the shot the very first shot we see of the pages of the book there isn't a moment in this scene where the ocean can't be seen so it's that sort of sense of it being like a constant reminder to him as well. Like he cannot escape from this. The The reminder is there that this thing is out there and he is doing the sensible and logical thing, which is learning about it. But yeah, it's a lot going on in a scene that doesn't seem like there's a lot going on. But I, this is one of my favorite scenes. I just, I just want to mention that. On the top. We... I really love this scene. <clears throat> Do we know if they shot like the interiors on location? Like, is that the ocean? Is that the ocean, or is that like backward projection? It looks real. I don't. I'm not too sure. I know they did shoot most of it on location, so I would think that it was. But Be- because yeah, the point it doesn't at look which... like back projection to me. Because mm-hmm. the point at which like he exits and you know goes and looks at like goes and looks at Michael and like Sean around on the pier. There's there's a, there's a great shot like looking at them, but then there's not quite the reverse shot it's kind it's kind of fudged slightly it's not like you get the shot at them and then you get the shot directly back it's still it's it kind of returns to the, the previous shot in a way that like i don't know it, i might be over over analyzing this but suggests to me that at least that kind of geography doesn't didn't exist quite as that i do think i don't know if they filmed in more than one house for the brody house it doesn't seem to fit. This room doesn't seem to fit with kind of what I understood to be the layout of their home when we first meet him in the bedroom and walk into the kitchen with him. It doesn't mm. seem like it's that big of a place. And then this room seems massive to me. Like <laughs> the the room and then all the space they have in the back. Like it seems really big. So I, I almost wonder if they filmed on a couple different spots and then spliced it together, but it looks like it was all filmed on location. It doesn't look back projected to me. Hmm. I, um, I also really like, uh, as you say, the fact that Brody's got loads of books out of the library, the fact that like, he's still by profession, like kind of, he's a New York cop. He's somebody mm-hmm. who was, you know, probably involved in investigating homicides. He's somebody who does have this sense of diligence to him. Like he's going to do his homework and that kind of that kind of obsessive focus that he's bringing to bear you know obviously you know um, Roy Schneider was really famously in the French Connection and you can almost imagine this his character been like transported to Amity and the fact that it, except the, the difference is that like he's not you know fighting somebody who's you know he's not trying to track down somebody who's you know stabbed somebody on the street he's trying to track down a a a, a many ton prehistoric <laughs> ocean predator mm. Yeah, in in my head, the French Connection is a prequel to uh, to Jaws, and every time they refer to him as not Martin Brody, I'm just like whispering to myself, Martin Brody, <laughs> just so I can pretend it's like a prequel and they're connected somehow. <laughs> He's in witness protection. Yeah, <laughs> that's after, it exactly. After... And then, yeah, after after the French Connection two, obviously Popeye got addicted to heroin, and uh, yeah, he had to go. <laughs> 
Is he have in the French had... Connection too, as well? I I can't remember if he is. I I just largely remember the fact that they went, yeah, let's let's give Gene Hackman all the smack. <laughs> so I've never seen either one. of the French Connection movies. So. <laughs> uh, I... It, it, apparently, I forgot there is a time jump between French Connection to French Connection Two, and uh, a pa- and by what I can see, uh, Roy Scheider isn't in it. Mm. Oh, pity. Okay, I was trying to somehow like make a connection to Sorcerer as well. Like things <sighs> just go really bad for for Brody after Jaws, and he ends up where he ends up in Sorcerer. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm well, making it would my be it would be after trilogy. Jaws Two, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's actually the Roy Scheider connected universe. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. how are we going to work in all that jazz? Oh, um, it happens in his mind, where sure. instead of a yeah. cop, he's like a choreographer, <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it, it's literally as the shark is approaching him when he's up in the crow's nest. That's just when, like, when he's staring at it down the barrel of the gun. That's where all all that jazz plays out, just <laughs> yeah. in his mind. <laughs> His his body just floods with like DMT and adrenaline to make him hallucinate that he's this New York uh, choreographer. This is... Yes, this is the Roy Scheider cinematic universe that we uh-huh. all deserve. <laughs> yep. All right. Up next, the 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 Tom Jane Punisher, where he plays. Yep. He plays his dad. I mean, like, and that's something like, you know, certain ones like Marathon Man, you can slot that in fairly easily. Like, I'm looking at, currently looking at his filmography, The Russia House. Uh, <laughs> Naked Lunch is a weird one. Like, Naked Ooh, Lunch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh, boy. Is, is, <laughs> I, I really love, I really love, like, his, his filmography because, like, he's somebody who's beating classic films and but is also like you know in the same way that like obviously uh, richard dreyfus has and you know Robert Shaw, like jobbing actors stuff where you just look at their filmography and you're like okay did not know that was there mm, paycheck films yeah. where they're just like okay i gotta show up and i get paid for this and that's fine i don't have to work that hard and honestly fair enough um <laughs> i'm now uh, realizing how few roy scheider films i've seen so i need to um i need to correct this i've seen most of the ones that we've mentioned but i need to have, I need to have either of you seen sequest <laughs> the, the the tv series that he did mm-hmm. sequest no. dsv no i remember it i remember seeing commercials for it all the time uh on tv as a kid but i never watched it like i mean that feels like that's got to fit fairly 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 logically into this it's, it's just difficult yeah the, the continuity is difficult to maintain i think <laughs> with the <laughs> You don't I mean, say. I mean, how was how was Quint both you know a salty sea captain and Henry VIII? Uh, <laughs> that's another can of worms. That is. Um, oh no! And that, and that time yeah. he fought that, that time he fought James Bond. Yes. <laughs> and then developed an Irish accent uh, somehow uh, for uh, for his appearance in the Sting. That was just him undercover, maybe. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Um. Another. Well, not not quite um as complex as our new uh Roy Scheider cinematic universe, but we get a a small confirmation of sequence of events, and uh because we've said in previous episodes that Jaws is a time travel movie, mm-hmm. this it doesn't really help either way with that theory, but we do sort of find out when this scene is taking place, certainly in relation to Alex Kintner's murder, um because um 
Is it right to call it a murder? Sorry, I just realised Alex Kinder's mur- death. Murder, in, murder kind of applies intent. Yes. Well, that's well, <laughs> something well. we put into before. <laughs> I mean, we were we did a whole contest around this ex- exact subject. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho's, um, Alex Kinder's death. Uh, sorry, we <laughs> we find out because um, Ellen says. Uh, that Michael doesn't even want to go in the water after what happened yesterday. So that suggests that the town meeting happened either the afternoon of Alex Kintner's death, or possibly more likely that the town meeting occurred um, the morning of the the day that this scene is taking place on. I think that that yeah. probably makes more sense. Otherwise, they would have pulled that together quite quickly. And when you're sort of tracking the previous events of the film as well it seems like the moment on the beach um when alex is killed it sort of seems to be like an afternoon because you have all the kind of the conversations with larry that have happened before then and yeah not not confirmed and doesn't really help out that much in terms of dates and still doesn't rectify the time travel thing but yeah at least we we can sort of place what's happening now in relation to when Alex was killed, which was the kind of last major event that we saw. And in terms of like the uh, talking about sort of about the uh, the fears and the and the and like the logical aspect of them, the fact that you know they want the kids to get out of the boat, um, and the next scene is two two fishermen trying their luck and not and like actually you know being on a pier that gets dragged out to sea mm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like there's there's a degree of, I guess, the opposite of wish for, nightmare fulfillment in this. It's the thing that you're afraid of happening, and then oh shit, it does happen. <laughs> yeah, there's some um, some great foreshadowing again. I think with what Ellen sees in the book, and I think that moment is just really funny as well with the sort of back and forth that they've had between them and. Brody sort of yelling at the kids and and being the classic dad again and then Ellen sort of saying you know don't be so hard on him and then she sees this page in the book and then she you know switches on a on a dime and is you know then yelling at them to get out the boat but as well as it's sort of um foreshadowing the next scene here is my here is Sarah's deep cut for the week um so (laughs) are we ready and I had to go ahead to check something in this scene but it tracks so um brace yourselves but the one of the people who is in the boat in the book getting eaten by the shark is wearing this sort of like red and black kind of check jacket type of thing and i was like why do those colors look familiar so i nipped ahead a little bit to our good pal ben gardner yep and he is wearing a hat um i thought it was a jacket at first but he's wearing like a camo kind of jacket um, but he is wearing a hat that is the um, exact same colour and pattern. So I am fairly confident that's not intentional, but I was very proud of myself for spotting it and I wanted to tell everyone <laughs> about it, well, basically. Unless it's like the uh, unless it's like the uh, the Red Beetle in The Shining, in uh, in uh, when uh, when Kubrick did that and obviously crushed and crushed the car from the book under the uh, under that lorry. Unless it's one of those like. This doesn't really fit in our in whatever version we're doing now, but we're going to include it in there just for people who who like are fans of the book and will be like, I recognise that from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, 
this guy in the boat that's dressed like Ben Gardner. Mm-hmm. Check this out. Yellow pants. Oh. Uh. Okay. All good. All He's good. Pal yellow. Yep. <laughs> See, I'm not insane. Uh, and me pausing that image and then staring at it for five minutes straight whilst I tried to work out where I'd seen that check pattern before was not for nothing. Um, and we get there's another small amount of yellow in in this scene that we're talking about as well. The um, I mentioned about the. Uh, kind of constant presence of the ocean and the colour of the curtains in the Brady house are like a, a lovely fetching yellow stripe pattern as well. So um, this colour is not going away and this certainly doesn't change right. over the rest of the the rest of the film as well. We we get it a lot and it's I think it's one of those things that it was something that I was aware of before we started this podcast, but now I am like super aware of it. So everything that is yellow, I'm just like scrolling down in my notes like a mad person, like yellow, because it is everywhere. And it's that and red, I think, are, are used quite extensively throughout the film as the sort of the the danger colors or signal in the presence of the shark or just even to be aware of the shark you know it's 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 coming soon or it's gonna have an impact on this person or these characters or this moment and yeah it's it's funny how much you notice it when you're really looking out for it as well (laughs) yeah well and also michael's boat tied to the dock both the front and back with yellow rope yes Mm. i say Mm -hmm. one thing i think i really love about you know sort of brody doing it doing his reading doing his homework in this scene is you know it kind of talks about all the known facts about the sharks and you know but then it, it's got the you know degree of you know the unknown terms of we don't even know how long they live it could be a thousand years and then towards the end with you know quint who's like the hardened seaman who's like experienced sharks in every situation firing the barrels the yellow barrels at the shark and the fact that it keeps on going under really no matter how many barrels they attach to it this like impossible thing that's almost like kind of suggesting like it doesn't matter what knowledge you or experience you think you've got this thing's going to keep on kind of surprising you it's going to keep on like you know doing unexpected things that you can't really quite prepare for is yeah i I love like there's there is and i i think the later films probably go into this to a slightly slightly more of a degree slightly a sillier degree there is almost like a supernatural element to this shark yeah, we've like, talked about that before. It feels um, alien. It feels even the music cues when it when it shows up feel a little otherworldly. I mean, and we've seen that before, even in popular culture. I mean, what's that James Cameron deep ocean movie? Oh, the Abyss. Aliens of the, the Abyss. Deep. Uh, well, no, the documentary. Oh. Um, <laughs> Aliens from the Deep. Is that what it's called? That yeah, sounds right. Aliens <laughs> of the Deep. Um, yeah, it's a 2005 documentary that's just about like the the weird creatures that live in the deep deep ocean. Um so, yeah, I think I I do think that that's highly intentional and you know, this is this idea of I I think this scene <laughs> illustrates also the sort of information overload that you get, like when you research a topic and you get every little piece of information about it and you just start going on these wild rabbit trails with Mm -hmm. the information you're learning because when you get information, you can't really parse it out initially into what it is and what it might not be. So you read all this stuff and it's all true. 
It's all the same level of true. So he reads, we don't know how old sharks are. Like this thing, we could be, this thing could be an actual literal dinosaur, you know? And um, I think that's a really a great, hum- yeah, a really <laughs> great human way to look at it. You know, this thing could be thousands of years old. This could be an ancient creature that we're dealing with here. And if that's the case, like we might've stumbled upon, you know, something, the level of Bigfoot or uh, the Loch Ness monster or something. And um, just that, that information overload, anxiety fueled, what if scenario that that Brody Brody kind of throws out. And Brody blows it up. Like that's the thing, like, you know, Brody, you know, for very good reasons does very much destroyed you know any trace of this shark like you know it, it, today he'd go back to the land and they'd be like nope no shark never was a shark wasn't a thing <laughs> everybody you know you know you know dog you know dogs and cats living together mass hysteria um everybody would just have <laughs> totally denied the existence of this shark um lorraine gary in this scene uh one an all-time movie mom outfit that she has going on here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so good. It is such a good movie mom outfit. Um, it feels so real. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just love, she just feels so lived in this character. She doesn't get a lot, but she is so important to who Brody is and, the decisions he makes and and the way he looks at the, th- the 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 events of the film and how they play out and you feel you you feel her presence in his character a lot and you know the way she the way he internalizes that to his performance is really great but the way she externalizes it to feed back into that character and then have his character inform her she knows exactly what to do you know she she knows I got to have a drink ready, you know, um, (laughs) probably for both of us. And I think that's one of the things that when you're in a long-term relationship like that, you kind of really start to intuit really well is like, okay, what does this person need in this moment without me directly coming to them to make them to, to, to force them into a decision of some sort. And that's something that takes years. I mean, it's not something I have figured out in my half a decade of marriage really all that well and um but you see that in in couples that have been together for a really long time of like oh they're acting this way they need scotch and just like to chill out for a second with but they need to be forced into it because talking to them about it is going to get us nowhere and they're going to just go right back into the pattern that uh is probably not in their best interest health wise um so yeah they're i mean you know hashtag couple goals i think yeah (laughs) like the fact that like you know brody's the most part you know apart from when he like full-on starts ranting at mayor vaughan like in terms of it but like he's not a demonstrative guy like you know he's quite like quite buttoned up quite you know he's got a stressful job and you know a previously even more stressful job you know there's a rule this was like kind of meant to be like his or like you know, like a, a an easier kind of a kind of step back, take this you know more symbolic position in small town, you know, amity, and like like the fact that she's just kind of attuned to it. Yeah, as you say, like a couple goals, she just kind of like okay, he's stressed out, he's focusing on this thing. I'm gonna give him a glass of whiskey, and then at some point we're gonna go make out, 
and it's like <laughs> and it's just like it's just really nice Ellen is my uh, my my shining light of this scene she is my favorite part of this of this scene and I think this is one of the the best Ellen moments or certainly in my top three anyway um that'll be a list we do at the end, yeah. the end, maybe. <laughs> um, that's great yeah <laughs> she the the thing that I love is is kind of what you're both saying really there is how fluid the movement is between removing the book from his hand and then replacing it with the drink it is honestly it's like poetry it's it's just like it just happens with like the swiftest you d- he barely even notices that the thing in his hand has changed from a book to a, gl- to a glass of some kind of of some kind of alcohol and you know he <laughs> then following that is sort of like a little bit distracted he's sort of like one hand on the glass like one hand sort of like close to the book sort of thing but ellen knows what she is doing she after the sort of you know want to get drunk and fall around bit she then sort of like starts talking about something else so she is really trying very hard to like get his mind <laughs> off the sharks um she unfortunately walks right into the the trap because obviously as they start talking about michael and his present um brody realizes he is he is out uh, on the sea and then it sort of <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't become this big thing it's not this big drama he doesn't sort of they don't go after each other and even when there's that sort of um i guess conflict in uh brody sort of like yelling at the kids and ellen being like no you know maybe don't do that everything's fine it's there's still just a real sense of that these these two really know each other very very well and they mm-hmm. know what makes the other one tick they know how to help the other one out and they also sort of very like clearly have their their roles it's quite it (laughs) my favorite brody as a dad moment is when he's like um uh he's like i just want him to like read the boating regulations or like he needs to be aware of the rules or something it's so it's so classic dad i just i i love it so much it's like he's now sort of (laughs) because ellen is on to him he's now sort of changed his tune as like he's not acting uh erratically he's not sort of like demanding he gets out of the boat because of what happens he's sort of like no he needs to be a a responsible uh seaman and 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 read the read the boating regulations (laughs) it's just it's so great i love I love every interaction that those two share. It brings me joy. <laughs> I think I think because Brody could I think agree. Too, oh, you, sorry, you first. You first, MJ. Uh, uh, I think too. One of the things that makes this relationship great is you can sense it's a two-way street. Like if if Ellen was in this situation, you get the feeling that Brody would do it too. Um, or Martin, I guess they're both Brody, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it doesn't feel like. She's just there to serve him as the like dutiful wife, you know. I don't think that's the character. That's that's certainly if that's the way it was written. That's certainly not the way Lorraine Gary plays it. Um, it just seems like they're partners. Like they're in this together, no matter what. And I, you know, I have your back. You have mine. And if you know, right now you need my support. And if the tables were turned, which you know, we may not be dealing with a shark. We don't know the sequels exist yet. We may not be dealing with a shark, but I may have my own situation like this in the future. And I trust that you have the same, you know, uh, demeanor and outlook on how to handle the situation as my husband. Um, you know, even the 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 part of 
want to get drunk and fool around. Like, it seems like she's into that idea. Like, she's not like, oh, I got to do this because I know this is what he likes or whatever. <laughs> and I think that's really important and really, for a movie of this time, kind of unheard of. Yeah, it does. It does really feel like, I mean, I, I think Lorraine Gary is absolutely wonderful here. And I think it's interesting because she had like a reasonably kind of brief filmography man like she she basically did like her main career was like about five years in like the mid to mid to the end of the 70s i think her last film before Mm -hmm. before jaws the revenge because she came out of retirement for jaws the revenge was like was 1941 was another was another spielberg film um and she's so good in this and i think part of the reason that like it, it holds up so so well is that like you know we were talking about like kind of the extended roy scheider cinematic universe you don't really get that to the same extent with Lorraine Gary because because her filmography is so focused on Jaws as a franchise Mm. like she's so associated with with this character and I think I think that that for me is pretty much the only redeemable well the only redeemable thing about Jaws the Revenge is the fact that it's like I really like the concept of it I think it's executed in a way that doesn't really work I, I think i think i think most people would be hard pressed to say it works um but i love i love the idea of you know of ellen Brody out there having kind of picked up this obsession of her own and, you know I, I i kind of wish the film had taken like the twister approach the fact that like you know mate is not ellen being hunted by this shark because sean has been cruelly murdered but yeah, murdered by one definitely targeted by a shark but I, I love the idea of like it's ellen out there hunting these things like ellen's family has had this history with them in recent years and she's actually the one out pursuing them and then she comes you know face to face with a jaws if we're gonna if we're gonna call it one of those um <laughs> Because yeah, I, I I I love the dynamic here, and I I absolutely love the line reading of, and I, I can't do it justice, but just the that line of out of the water now, like that <laughs> is, it's so good, it's so, it's just yeah, I I I really love this scene as you say because it comes off the back of, a couple of really for it comes off the back of a the death of a child, and the kind of high gear you know um town meeting scene where quint turns up and aggravates everybody and now it's just it's just martin and ellen it's martin and ellen and the boys and a bit of family drama and this it's just it's really nice Mm. yeah i would i would propose that uh jaws the revenge be renamed ellen the revenge and it's just about her like taking down sharks like i would pay good money to sit to see that happen just the the furiosa of the seas oh my gosh oh yeah please so someone make this happen <laughs> also rob it's uh it's only a jaws if it comes from the jaws region of france anything else is a sparkling murder <laughs> <laughs> that's me <laughs> like i like the fact that like the thought of having ellen in the lead is like could you do uh, uh, like a ge- could you gender flip like the main cast of Jaws like whether or not it's Ellen in the lead because I was I was kind of I watched this game really we did recently. it last week yeah, yeah we did, did you I, I, I totally missed this I, well I, it's not out yet but I suggested that Lucy and her mother and Sarah be the the leads in a, an all female remake of of Jaws mm-hmm. I'm here for it 
because that's the thing. I feel the boat scenes in this, like they really play with ideas of masculinity and like looking at it, mm. like you know, like, you kind of got like Quint, the macho guy. You got like Hooper, the intellectual. Uh, you got like Brody somewhere in the middle. Like you know, it's kind of almost like this: the id ego, super ego. Um, yeah. And like whether or not like. I, I and I, I guess it's like kind of getting into more into gender theory here. Whether or not those archetypes exist in the same way for female characters to this degree, like whether or not you'd whether or not you'd immediately go, okay, you know, let's let's do the breakdown, let's do the three characters, and they all represent different aspects of what we consider to be. Like, also, it'd just be really fun to think about the casting. Who would you cast? If, 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 who would who would Spielberg have cast if somehow back in the seventies he'd gone? Yeah, we got, we've somehow got a female cast for Jaws. I mean, Lorraine Gary would would have been a great Brody in either situation, whether or not you're leading with with Ellen or with Martin. But who's <laughs> but who who do you go for your seventies female Quint? That's the real one. Oh boy, that's a. <laughs> That's a thought. I was going to throw myself in uh, to this uh, casting, but I was not born then, so... <laughs> Although... Diane Keaton? Yeah, no, Diane, Diane Keaton, Keaton has got to be Hooper. Diane Keaton's got to be Hooper, though, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. Divine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be... Yeah. MJ, that's John Waters' Joss. <laughs> you don't know how much I need this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I mean, I like it. I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> Just divine Diane Keaton and Lorraine Gary hanging out on a boat. Oh, man. You, I don't, can't, but you can't put a price. <laughs> But obviously you keep Roy Scheider, but you just switch him and you have him being the one bringing her the drink, taking the book out of her hand. Yeah. I guess 100%. also Sigourney Weaver would be a great female oh, yeah. equivalent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She'd work as a bro as Brody, I think. I could see I could see that happening. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, like, what you were saying about how Jaws would be different if it was female-led and i think that uh we would have had it resolved back at the town meeting um we would have just been like cool we're gonna get in the experts no one go on the beach um do as you're told and it would have been all have been resolved we wouldn't have had this fighting over i'm gonna go out and prove what a man i am and catch the big fish we would have been like no stay inside don't be stupid get the experts in um <laughs> I like. I, I, and I it would have been a much shorter film. This is just Jaws without subtext. This is just. This is just <laughs> Jaws. If 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 Quint had said, "I'm going to go be a bit man and get the big fish." <laughs> that's what he said in his speech last week, right? I, I I mean, yeah. That's I mean, like actually, almost literally. That is almost literally what he says. That's... <laughs> um. I really also, I like the part with the kids in this movie or in this scene because Sean, we see him once again emulating Brody in a couple different ways now that I think about it. So we touched on this way back, like, I don't know, six or seven episodes ago when we were still talking about the Alex Kittner death. And we see Sean playing on the beach and he's yelling when all the chaos happens, he's yelling after Michael. And I think, Sarah, it was you who brought this up that because he's also the one that we see imitating him, right? Mm -hmm. At yeah. the dinner table. That's Sean. And so 
you said that that's sowing the seeds already of how much he looks up to his dad Mm -hmm. and how much he um is able to to emulate him or wants to emulate him and 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 things and he wants to be a helper and he literally states that here you know when michael's in the in the boat and he's getting in trouble sean just adds as a non sequitur like i'm helping michael like it's i got it it's fine i know he's in the boat but sean's here i'm gonna take care of it he's under great supervision with me his little brother because i'm a helper like dad is a helper to the citizens of amity but he also isn't in the water yeah in this scene or the previous scene he's on the beach much like his father or on the dock and and, and it, yeah, he doesn't go in the water i think in the whole film i don't i think he like it seems like of the of the two michael is a bit more of the the water baby like he is out in the sea when alex is killed and he is obviously his present is a boat so he clearly likes being on the water and he is out in the water later but i don't think we at, at any point see sean go into the water so maybe as well sean has also kind of inherited his dad's uh i guess phobia or, or you know his sort oh. of feelings towards the ocean as well potentially but mm-hmm. he he, de- he should have kept that phobia because we all know how jaws the revenge starts <laughs> that's where it went wrong see this is how this is how it all went wrong for for poor little sean Brody, who's not I've... little by that point i should say he's not a child then <laughs> I, I've, I've been i've been looking up a couple of names do you know who would be your gender flipped female um um quint bet right. davis oh she okay. would be mm-hmm. awesome like mm-hmm. yes i mean she'd be she'd definitely <laughs> be pushing it at this uh, uh, by 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 this year but um but yeah, she would be amazing. Just ima- imagine, imagine her glaring at people in that classroom. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, bit of Lorraine Gary trivia that I didn't know. She was married to Sid Scheinberg. Yeah. Which explains why she only did a handful of acting. He was the he was the CEO of MCA and Universal Studios. Um, yeah, dear, dear Sid. Sh- so yeah, she. She didn't need to work for the paychecks. <laughs> Dear Sid Scheinberg, when are you going to release my film as uh, as Terry Gilliam, as Terry Gilliam Votrim and, and the Pages <laughs> Variety with uh, with uh, Brazil? <laughs> yeah, Sid, Sid Scheinberg, like mega mega movie mogul. Okay, did you did you guys have anything anything else about this this theme that you noticed? I had one very very small thing, but if you if you guys had anything else that you wanted to wanted to mention about this scene in particular. I I really like how Brody's response to when when Ellen call, uh, Martin's response when Ellen calls him out on you know he's never going to go in the water you know after after what after what happened yesterday and the fact that Brody legitimately does not want that to happen like Brody you know mm. he he he's got a fear of the water but he doesn't want to pass that on like he doesn't necessarily want he doesn't want his kids to be afraid of the water he's like he you know he he understands that this is something that he's dealing with and has to deal with you know to what whether or not there is a uh, a shark out there murdering people um and i just think that's a really nice moment there's a really nice like kind of moment of almost self-recrimination not like sulky self-recrimination but just where he's like you know i don't want that and 
yeah, again, the fact that, you know, it's never made in, it's never in doubt throughout the film that Ellen and Martin love each other and that they are good parents. Like, it's it, the fact that, like, that is almost, that's almost, that's absolutely beside everything else. It's just the fact we take it, we take it for granted that they are going to behave well to each other and to the kids and that anything like you know the family it's, it's got a pretty very you know in that regard a really traditional pretty stable family unit which mm. i i think i think in the context of the film is actually really comforting mm. yeah i think that i mean that's the thing spielberg does so well over the course of his entire career he just i think no director puts family dynamics on the screen in a more understandable and relatable way than Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Even yeah. when it comes to, I don't think he's ever done. I don't know. Not that I can think of. I don't think he's ever done someone who's come up in exactly terrible circumstances, the way someone who would be like a victim of abuse or something. I does. Think... I don't think he's ever depicted that on screen, but close encounters comes very close brushes up against that. I think I think maybe the closest he might have come to that is something like AI, which obviously which wasn't his project. I, right? Yeah, I was thinking that, but I haven't seen AI, so that's why I, I kind of hedged my bets on it a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm just looking at his his fairly amazing filmography now, and yeah, again, you know, even you know, it's whether or not it's like a literal family unit, like in ET. Or a a kind of a, a makeshift one, a kind of um, de facto one like in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. or you know I, I, that's the thing. Like I think what makes Spielberg's films resonate is that he's incredibly good at these character dynamics. Obviously, he's capable of getting in the uh, the thrills and the scale in there. You know, as as obviously demonstrated, I think initially by by Jaws, um, but the fact that he's able to find this this locate the human element amid all the, the you know with the middle the effects generally practical effects is what makes him such an an enduring filmmaker but which makes him kind of probably the greatest uh, you know again this is up open debate greatest quote unquote popular filmmaker you know outside outside of um outside of hitchcock mm. yeah. and I, I don't think as well like that most people would sort of um flag jaws for its depiction of family dynamics or anything but it's scenes like this where we we really see it and it's just one of the many many things that i love about jaws is just like we said earlier how lived in these characters feel and how real it feels and we learn so much about the characters in in this scene without really finding out you know too much more information it's a it's quite a short scene really and and there isn't tons of of uh, you know large chunks of dialogue or anything but we we get that sense of ellen and martin's relationship and how they are with each other and how they are as parents as well we get this thing with the kids as well how it's it seems to be cropping up quite a bit in that sean really does sort of like look both look up to his dad and want to be like him but has also perhaps inherited this sort of like fear or like distrust of the ocean as well um and michael seems to be the the very opposite of that and and seems to really love it but yeah a a lot that we sort of learn 
about them and we don't spend huge chunks of the film as a whole with the Brody family. I mean, as soon as Brody is out on on the Orca with Quint and Hooper, that's it. We don't we don't see them again for the rest of the film. So to establish this family and to really give like a great sense of who they are in what is a relatively short space of time is is pretty commendable really and you talk about the or some of the other films you mentioned there like like et and um and other spielberg films as well where we spend much much longer with those characters or they sort of we follow that same group of characters or that same family throughout the film so i think it's really nice and i really enjoy these scenes of just the Brody is kind of hanging out and really getting an idea of what they what they are and, and how they act towards each other because it just it it makes the stakes that much higher as well like we have to care about this entire family in order to care about about Brody we don't want anything to happen to him because not only do we like him we like his entire family as well and we don't want anything bad to happen to him when he's out facing the shark we want him to come home safely so we i it just it yeah this this scene just makes me absolutely love this family like even more than i did already and and really care about what happens to to them next yeah i hope i hope i hope i hope nothing bad happens to them in the future i really i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure I'm sure they're all going to be fine oh the Jaws sequels, they just had to take our, our precious our precious baby angels and, and ruin it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do any of them? I, I, I guess Ellen makes it to the end, doesn't she? I don't. I, I mean, Michael Michael makes it to the end. I mean, uh, yeah. Lives. Ma- Martin, Martin dies yes. off screen. Sean gets his arm bitten off. And then, like, with a Christmas carol choir singing on the dock and dies alone and afraid in this boat in the middle of winter in Amity <laughs> Harbour. It's just... Oh, MJ, you've got to watch the sequels. They are wild. <laughs> yeah, this sounds insane. I mean, I mean the second the second film literally, uh, like, basically turns the shark into a Bond villain. It's really... It's really something. Yeah, he has, like, a bowler hat and everything that he, like, throws at people and slices their heads off. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was more thinking, like... I was more thinking, like, you only live twice style Blofeld, but... Oh, <laughs> I went to little hat. <laughs> <laughs> Small hat. Yeah. Uh, okay. I I had um, one final thing, I think. Let me just um, check my notes. It's a really minor thing, but I think worth noting. And, and it sort of happens like right at the top as well as, as Brody is flicking through this book. Um, did you guys pick up what we can hear? Um, in the background as Brody is um, is reading that book. Mm-mm. I don't know if I did. Okay. It's, it's not super noticeable, but I noticed it because I turned the volume up really loud on my headphones. Um, but it's the sound of a ticking clock. And it, it first sounded like the indicator in a car. And I was like, why is someone signaling to turn? This is the, there isn't a car here. Um, but my subtitles very helpfully told me that it is um that is the sound of a clock ticking um and yeah just a really subtle way of showing in in the sound design which we have praised throughout this podcast really and i think we'll continue to do so because it's one of the real unsung heroes of of this film um just really emphasizing that sort of 
time is running out sense and that Brody is up against the clock and it's not just a when you know it's there or when you hear it it's not just a really kind of like quiet in the background sort of ticking like it's very much the only thing you can hear in that in that particular bit as he's sort of like flicking through the book so um you then kind of like lose the sound of it when uh, uh ellen comes in and they start talking but yeah i just thought that was uh an interesting little thing a little snippet that i had not noticed before because I mean, I always, I always say this, I'm like, here's this like really minor, tiny, insignificant detail that I didn't notice before. And it's like, well, why would I have done? Because I'm not, previously I wasn't doing a minute by minute breakdown of people's, <laughs> but now I am. So my ears and eyes are peeled for all things. I think I think the ticking clock makes sense. You know, it's going, it's, it's going to kind of there as a warning going, Martin, Martin, you've only got 12 years till your youngest son is murdered by a shark. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a time travel movie. Exactly, because right. it's a time travel movie. Look, this all tracks, and I think we're geniuses. I mean, I don't, I don't want to just, you know, put out something that people might disagree with, but I think we've cracked it. I think we've. Yep. <laughs> I think we've got. We figured this. it out. We yep. we have figured out yours. You're welcome. Good job, everyone. We, <laughs> we could all, solved it. We, we did. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Sadly, <laughs> I say sadly. Yeah. I'm having a great time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the only thing I have is that I always forget that this isn't the scene that has the super gross shark bite with the dude's leg hanging off. Uh, yeah, that comes soon. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the next scene, actually, it sort of like plays out when the guys are fishing. It sort of like cuts back and forth between that and back at the Brodies and he's looking for mm. a book then. And I think that's when we see it. And it's it's grim. We've got that to look forward to. <laughs> Well, Rob, thank you so much for being here, man. This was a blast uh, solving Jaws and figuring out the Roy Scheider cinematic universe. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much for having me. You know, again, it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful film, one of my all-time favorites. And this has been, this has been a real treat. Great. Well, uh, why don't you tell us uh, and everyone at home where we can find you on social media. If you have any projects you want to plug, uh, the, the floor is yours. Oh, cool. Um, well, um, I do a bit of writing here and there uh, that you can find at uh, ofallthefilmsites.com, www.ofallthefilmsites.com, uh, or follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. I also do uh, a podcast with a dear friend of mine, Mr. Rob Daniel, called uh, The Movie Robcast, which you can find, I think, <laughs> everywhere uh sort of itunes spotify etc or follow us on twitter at uh movie robcast and yeah that's sort of it's two it's two white men named rob talking about movies so it's <laughs> it's, it's it's utterly unique in that regard <laughs> as someone who has a dear friend named rob who's a white man that i talk about movies with a lot i appreciate that <laughs> um you can find us uh the show you can find us at jaws for a minute on twitter that's the name of the website um <laughs> yep i don't even have the excuse that i woke up three minutes before we recorded today <laughs> if you want to follow sarah individually she is at sarah buttery s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-r nope b-u-d-d-e-r-y <laughs> if you want to follow me i am at mj smith 891 on twitter uh if you want to email the show with feedback uh, which we have gotten some recently that led to a very exciting um, opportunity for the show that you will hear about when it happens. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, jaws for a minute at gmail.com is the website for that. If you have any feedback or anything like that. Also, if you have feedback that you would like to share publicly, 
you can tweet at us at Jaws for a minute or leave us a review on your preferred listening site. Uh, our preferred ones for that are Apple and Spotify. That helps the uh, algorithm advertise the show to more people. So do that. Share it with your friends. Say, hey, there's a podcast with two people who have taken on the insane task of doing a minute by minute breakdown of the film Jaws. And for some reason, this is the only one of these shows that exists uh, for Jaws. There's plenty of shows that do movie by movie breakdowns or minute by minute breakdowns of movies. Uh, if you would like merchandise, Redbubble, there's a link in the bio and on Twitter. There, we're also on T Public. Is that the one we're on also? Yep. Yeah. Okay. T Public. <laughs> I get them all confused. And uh, yeah. Also, congratulations to our contest winner who we are recording separately that so we announced that at the beginning of the show um congratulations whoever won we haven't decided yet but you will know by the end of this so if Woo! you won congratulations um yep and if that that's all everyone uh we will be back here next week same shark time same shark channel it's jaws o'clock somewhere <laughs>